Well, as we have begun Mark chapter 10 in our series, Living in the Shadow of the Cross, Jesus has been teaching us God's plan for marriage. And you know that in the opening verses of Mark 10, Jesus is confronted with the issue of divorce. And three questions emerge in the conversation with the Pharisees. Those three questions are, what about divorce? What about marriage? And what about divorce and remarriage? And with all three questions, Jesus explains uh, a different law. The first question, he explains the law of Moses. And the second question that we began last week and want to continue and finish this week, he explains creation law. And then following Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, we will come back to the last question where Jesus explains his own law. Now, whenever Jesus taught about marriage, he always went back to Genesis 2.24. In fact, let's read this verse together from the second chapter of the first book of the Bible. Join me, and this is what Jesus always went back to as he taught about marriage. Let's read it together. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this is the fundamental passage in all the Bible that reveals God's plan for marriage. All other teaching in the Bible, in one way or another, relates back to God's original plan. As we said last week, it is a mark of profound wisdom to take that which is complex and to be able to explain it in the simple. And last week we saw that marriage, according to God, involves three elements. It involves leaving, it involves cleaving, and it involves becoming one flesh. Now last Sunday we looked at the first one, what it means to leave, and today we want to look at the next two. What is cleaving involved? That's the King James word for hold fast. And then what does it mean to become one? I invite you to open your Bibles again to Mark chapter 10. The chair Bible in front of you is page 1005. And let's notice again verses 6 through 9 as Jesus explains to us what marriage truly is. Follow along as I read from God's Word. But from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's bow together in prayer for a moment. Lord God, Thank you for your great, great wisdom in creating and forming and founding the fundamental institution of all society, the institution of marriage. And thank you, Father, that uh, you gave us this wonderful relationship and you also gave us an understanding of how it should work. And we thank you that when we follow your plan, 
Marriage can be what you intended it to be. The most fulfilling and wonderful relationship this side of heaven. And Father, as we have also acknowledged as we've been working our way through Jesus' teaching that many people have been hurt and harmed by far less than the ideal. And we're so thankful that you are a God of grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that your forgiveness covers all sins and all failures. And wherever we may be at today, you desire to take us forward, uh, healing our lives, healing our hearts, and leading us into your perfect plan for us. So we pray today that as the Spirit of God is present to take the truth of Jesus and apply it to our hearts, that you would strengthen our marriages, that you would enlighten our understanding, and you would help us to see your good and great plan. We love you now this morning. Thank you far more that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at the second element of marriage, we notice the Bible teaches us that marriage involves cleaving. That is the word from the King James Bible. It is translated here in the English Standard Version as hold fast. What is interesting is that the Greek word that is used here by Jesus is the normal Greek word for glue. And the word in its original understanding means to cling, to glue oneself to, and it comes from a root that means to glue together, to cement, to fasten firmly together. I remember one day watching my father-in-law, and he was gluing together a birdhouse. And he was using glue because he wanted to uh, see those pieces in the house adhere together so tightly that they would never come apart. And all of us know that's what glue is for. Glue is designed to make a permanent bond. Now, as we think about this, then there are a couple of things that Jesus is telling us that God was teaching us about marriage. Number one, marriage is intended to be a permanent union. Jesus explains that, doesn't he, in verse 8. He says, so they are no longer two, but they are one flesh, says Jesus. If you were to look up the word one in a dictionary, do you know what you would find? Uh, the Oxford Dictionary defines one in this way. It is the lowest cardinal number. One is the cardinal number that is incapable of division into another whole number. All other cardinal numbers, two, three, and, and so forth, they all can be divided into other whole numbers but one is the cardinal number that can never be divided. So God is telling us that this union is an indivisible, indissoluble union. It was never intended by God to be divided. I think of it in this way. Not only are Ellen and I stuck to each other, but we are stuck with each other as well. That's what Jesus is teaching us. And that is true of every married couple. 
It is a permanent bond. Now, Jesus teaches us something else in verse 9. It is God that unites the couple. Did you notice the conclusion that he draws in verse 9? He says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. When a couple are married, it is God who unites them at the altar in a permanent lifelong union. And when it says what God has joined together, that is a very interesting word. It means to fasten to one yoke. It means to yoke together. So just as a farmer would yoke two oxen together in a yoke, so God yokes a man and a woman together in marriage. Now that's very important. It's not the pastor who unites them. It's not the church that unites them. It's not the state that unites them. All three are involved. The state has a stake in making sure that marriages are legal and proper. But ultimately, it is God who unites that couple. And since that is true, what Jesus is telling us is only God has the right to break that union. Only he has the right to permit that union to come apart. Now think about what that means. In many cases, when a couple stands before a judge, and they hear that judge say, divorce granted, and they walk out and go their separate ways, in the eyes of God, They are still married. And apart from God's sanction of that divorce, they are not free to remarry. God joined them, and only God can sanction a divorce and a remarriage. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment and just say this to any who are single here who are looking forward perhaps someday to being married, only marry somebody who has God's view of marriage. Okay? Only marry somebody who will stand at the altar with you and say, when we say I do, and God joins us in marriage, divorce is not an option. I just had a premarital counseling session yesterday with a wonderful couple, uh, a former NMU student. I'll be marrying them on July 1st, Lord willing. And as we've gone through the premarital counseling together, we have said to them, as you get married, just decide that you're never even going to use the word divorce. That when you have an argument, when things get very difficult, when tension comes into your relationship, that that word will never cross your lips, that it is not an option for you. If you are both coming into this marriage as children of God and God is in your marriage, there is not any problem. He cannot help you get through. And when you come into that marriage with this view, you are viewing marriage as God views it. Sadly, many in our culture no longer view marriage like this, do they? Many sadly get married with this sort of attitude. If it doesn't work out, we can just divorce. 
and find somebody else. And that is the prevalent view of many today. I'll never forget many, many years ago, there was a celebrity wealthy couple who was breaking up. And it was all in the news. And ABC TV interviewed both the wife and the husband, first the wife and then a little later the husband. And this is what the wife said uh, as I watched this interview. She said, marriage takes work. Then sometime later it came time to interview the husband. They said to the husband, what what do you think about that? You know what he said? He said, if it takes that much work, maybe it's not worth happening. Maybe it's not worth having. And as I listened to that, I thought, how can you be so brilliant and successful in your career and so foolish when it comes to marriage? And yet that is the world's view. If it gets tough, boring, if the romance fades, if it takes work, it is not worth happening. But God's view is completely different. God's view is it is a lifelong, permanent marriage. Now, that is why Pastor Hank and I both require premarital counseling for all couples that we marry. See, we want to prepare them the very best we can for their marriage. You know what we do? We have a professional research inventory that we use. That couple will answer about 150 questions. It It will rate their relationship in about 12 or 13 very critical areas. It will detail their personality. It will even map the kinds of families that they came to. And you know what? When that thing is all done, we get a 25-page readout of their relationship. And we will spend six to eight sessions with them going through all of that. Yesterday, I had my fourth session. Pastor Hank, I know you had a session this week with a couple that you're working with. And you know what happens? On the day of their wedding, when they're married, and we are now moving out of that relationship from them, they will often say to us, we're glad you approach it this way. You see, we're very, very happy to do that because it is an investment in the most important relationship they will ever enter into. Now that leads to the third area. The third area that God says defines what marriage is, is becoming one. Becoming one. You'll notice that Jesus said, the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. That's a very interesting thing. One flesh is actually a Jewish expression that simply means one. That's all it refers to. And so what Jesus is telling us is from God's perspective, when a couple are married, they become a partnership. 
And it is a partnership that is all-encompassing. It is the most intimate relationship that anyone can know. It is the total blending together of two personalities to become a couple. And I believe that this one flesh relationship, this partnership, is not only an event, but it is also a process. Ellen and I became one on the wedding night of our marriage. This summer we will celebrate 27 years of marriage. You know what? We have been learning a lot over the last 27 years about what it means to become one. So it was an event. We became one on our wedding night. But if you would ask me, do you have a much greater understanding of what it means to be one today? My answer would be absolutely yes. And so it is an event as well as a process. Now, what's involved in this? What does uh, it take for us to become one? Well, this morning, let me share with you some of the dimensions of this. By the way, as we work through these together, particularly the, the last ones, this tells you who you ought to marry. If you're here today and uh, you are looking forward to marriage, you're going to be in a lifelong permanent union with a person that God wants you to be blended together with one. So who you choose in that relationship is of utmost importance. And you choose the person that you're going to be one with for the rest of your life. What's involved in that? Well, let's talk about it a little bit this morning, all right? Number one. It means that you are going to be sexually one. The Bible teaches us that about Adam and Eve, that they knew each other after God brought them together and they became sexually one. Now sex is the most revealing expression of marital love that a husband and a wife can share together. It is a sacred activity that is theirs alone, And it bonds them together like nothing else can. And therefore, nothing should ever be allowed to intrude in terms of outside influences on the purity of that sexual relationship. Pornography. Affairs. X-rated movies fantasies, lust. All of that erodes oneness. And let me just say this morning, if you are engaged in any of those activities, get the help that you need to overcome them. There are people here in our church that have gone through those very sins and wrongs. And God has led them to overcome them. And you can do the same in your life as you follow Jesus Christ. But if you continue in those types of things, you will harm your marriage. See, here's what the Bible teaches. 
When a couple focuses their sexual attention on each other alone, they have a growing ability to find satisfaction in each other. And that increases their oneness. Do you know the most fulfilling sex is not the playboy who goes from partner to partner, but it is the couple that has learned to love one person over a lifetime. A friend of mine said one of the beauties of growing old with your spouse is you learn to love one person over a lifetime. And that kind of sexual love is far more rewarding because it leads to a deep abiding bond that the Bible describes as oneness. Now let me just add this. This is why you ought to save your virginity for marriage. If you will save your virginity for marriage, you will not bring into your marriage the kind of baggage that other people sometimes have to struggle with. I want to tell you that as I have married couples, I have married many couples who have been sexually active before they gotten married. And God forgives, and God restores purity. And all God's people said, yeah. And I have worked with those couples when they have been honest with me. They have confessed their sins sometimes to one another, to God. The guilt has been removed. They have stopped the sexual activity. And on the day they stood at the altar and gave their vows, their purity had been uh, restored and they had dealt with the guilt and it was behind them. But this is what I want to also say. You will have no regrets if you do it God's way. I have never known anyone who regretted saving their virginity for their marriage partner. I've never known that. And you will have less regrets if you do it God's way. Because God's intention is that you become sexually one with the person he unites you together for life. Let's look at the second aspect. Secondly, God wants us to become spiritually one. God wants every couple that names the name of Christ to be spiritually one in their spiritual relationship. What he wants them to do is to grow together in their relationship to him. Now, now look at that. That's the number one reason why you ought to marry a Christian. It's because God wants you to grow together spiritually in your relationship with him. And it is impossible to have spiritual oneness with somebody who doesn't know Jesus or love Jesus. Now let me just say, for many of us here today who may be married to a non-believer, this does not mean that you cannot have a fulfilling marriage if you are married to a non-believer. That's why the Bible says you stay with that person as long as they're willing to stay with you. But there is a dimension of the relationship that will never go to the depths that God wants it to go to because 
It is what the Bible describes as an unequal yoke. I have a married friend who was married at one time to an unbeliever. And I'm not sure where that person is at this day, but at one point they were struggling in their marriage. You know what she said to me? She said, there's a wall between us. There's a wall between us. And that is the heart cry of somebody longing for spiritual oneness. Let me ask this question this morning. How can you tell if somebody is a Christian? How can you know that? Rather than they just say that they're a Christian. Well, let me give you uh, just a, a few answers to that question. Number one. Do they have a testimony? Every person who has become a Christian has a testimony of how they came to know the Lord. And they should be able to talk about that testimony. This is how I know that I've come to know the Lord. This is my testimony about how he has brought me into a relationship with him. If you're going to marry a Christian, they should have a testimony. Secondly, They should want to attend church on their own because they love Jesus. Many people will attend church because they love a girlfriend. Some will attend church because they love a boyfriend. But a Christian is somebody who attends church because they love who? Jesus. And do they want to come to church because they have come to love him? Here's the third way I think you know whether someone's a Christian. Do they help you get closer to Jesus or do they pull you further away? That is a telltale sign. If in the relationship they're pulling you away from Jesus, there's a big question mark as to whether they know him. But if they're encouraging you to get closer to Jesus, that is a good indication they are a Christian. Do you know there was a poll taken by the Christian magazine, Christianity Today, back in 1998, or 1980? And they wanted to discover the common denominator in couples that stayed married. What was it about them that enabled them to stay married? Here's what they found. Couples that attended church once a month, they had one divorce in 25 marriages. Couples that were active in their church, teaching, singing in a praise team, working in a ministry like Awana, they had one divorce in 525 marriages. And couples that had family devotions, including prayer, they had one divorce in 1,015 marriages. You know what that tells me? The more you grow together spiritually, the stronger your oneness becomes. The more we grow together spiritually, 
the stronger our oneness becomes. Look at the third area. God intends that we become one in soul. Now, you know what this is? This is the friendship level of marriage. It's being soul mates. It is developing an emotional intimacy which we usually describe as friendship. When I was a young man, long before I was ever married, I heard a man teaching on marriage, and this is what he said. He said, marry someone who has become your best friend. And you know what? I thought that really sounds like very good advice. So when I started dating Ellen, I tried an experiment with her. I decided I would have no physical intimacy of any kind with her until I knew we had become friends first. I didn't hold her hand for 10 months. 10 months. Ask her what she thought of that, by the way. Then one beautiful October, we were walking through the woods. It was a beautiful, gorgeous day. We were walking along a creek. And we came to a very narrow bridge, and we wanted to get to the other side. And my mother had taught me well. And so I reached out to take her hand to help her across the bridge. And when she put her hand in my hand for the first time, I was grasping the hand of my best friend. It had worked. And so when we got to the other side of the bridge, I decided I'm not letting go. Oh, what a wonderful walk that was. You see, friends can be together and simply enjoy each other's company. We build emotional intimacy as we continue to build that friendship. That's why it is very important to keep dating one another, to keep doing fun things together, to enjoy one another's company, because what is happening as we do that, we are building soul oneness. We are becoming one in soul. Here's the fourth dimension. Number four. This oneness involves one in service. You see, God designed that Christian couples would have an impact on other lives. His desire is that we would form a partnership that would minister to others together. It's very interesting, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave both of them the creation mandate. They were to serve in the garden together, representing him as husband and wife. And couples that want to build oneness look for ways to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thought about this as I've looked at the 30 years that I've been a, a senior pastor in two churches, and who are the couples that I know are the closest? You know what I would say? I would say the closest couples that I know without question have been couples who have been ministry-minded. And being ministry-minded together, they are supportive of one another in the ministries that they're involved in. Sometimes they're involved in the same ministry together. Other times they're involved separately in the church. But they are ministry-minded, and what that ministry does as they serve the Lord together as a couple is it draws them closer together in what God intended, that they would be a partnership of one representing Him and ministering to other lives. Now, there's something here that I think we all need to see here this morning. Do you know the last three aspects of oneness enrich the first one? Did you notice that? When a couple is growing spiritually and growing as friends and serving others, it increases their intimacy. There's an old statement that I think is true. When there's a problem with sex, sex is usually not the problem. When there is a problem with sex in a marriage, sex is usually not the problem. It's the three other areas. But when a couple is growing together spiritually, growing together as soulmates, as friends, and growing together as a couple that wants to impact other lives, that increases oneness, and it enriches the physical aspect of their lives. You see, oneness is an event, but it's also a lifelong process of learning to become partners together. Some of us here today may remember that there was a time when you bought appliances that they always came with a certain statement that kind of told you you, you need to be very careful that you, you do this appliance the way that it was set up to run. You remember that statement? For example, if, if you bought uh, something like a coffee maker, here's the statement. For best results, follow the what? Yeah. How many of you think that, well, I know what you think. It's good advice for marriage, isn't it? For best results in marriage, follow the instructions. And here are the instructions. It's a mark of profound wisdom that God could reduce it so clearly for us. Marriage involves leaving, and you're not ready to marry until you can leave financially, decisionally, and put your relationship first ahead of your previous family. Marriage involves cleaving. 
It's a permanent union. And God is the one who unites the couple. And marriage involves becoming one. It is a partnership. Every level, uh, dimension of your life is, is blended together. You're one sexually. You're one in soul. You're one spiritually. And you're one in service. And when we follow those instructions, marriage works the way God intended it to work. Jesus created marriage. He's the one who understands what it should be. And as we conclude this morning, we're going to gather together around this table to fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And I know for many of us, this series, and we will conclude it at the Sunday after Easter, has been a painful time because it has brought up very difficult memories, some of the hardest regrets that we have gone through. And it's so important that we conclude by saying that there is no sin or wrong that God cannot forgive. There is no person that comes to Jesus that their past cannot be washed clean. And whatever our circumstances, the Lord Jesus wants to take us forward into a fulfilling life with Him. And so how appropriate today that we would come around the table of the Lord and worship Him and find His encouragement. So let's just take a moment, shall we, and let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that Jesus is a wonderful Savior. And as we gather around this table in a moment, and Pastor Hank leads us, we're going to celebrate what he's done for us and, and find the, the daily cleansing that we need as we walk in this world. But we're thankful also that Jesus is a great teacher. And we're so thankful for his insight that helps us understand the most important relationship any of us will ever be in. And Father, we, we pray for those who have experienced less than the ideal and who today are very conscious of wounds and hurts. And we're so thankful that in your mercy and in your grace and in your healing, you can restore each and every one of us. And we know that whatever our current marital circumstances, you desire us to follow your plan in that situation. Father, I pray for those who are yet looking forward to marriage. I pray, Father, that they would very seriously think about what you have revealed and, and look for the kind of person who is the right person to marry. And then may they be the right person themselves. Because, Lord, when we are seeking ourselves to follow Jesus and to be the right person, and we look for someone who is seeking the same thing, then marriage can be all that you want it to be. 
So bless our current marriages, Lord, here in our church. Strengthen them. Bless future marriages. May we be a bright and shining beacon in a world that very, very sadly has gone so deeply astray. We love you now and come around your table. For Jesus' sake. I'd like to invite our men to come, and Pastor Hank is going to lead us as we come together around the table of the Lord.